We've been following Luke's message to his friend that he calls Theophilus that is written to him so that Theophilus might know the reliability of the things that he's learned about Jesus. Ultimately, that he would know the reliability of Jesus himself. And there are two ways that Luke is helping Theophilus to see that, to see that Jesus is reliable. One is by seeing what Jesus is like, especially in recent chapters in Luke, seeing the way that Jesus uses his authority. Seeing that he has authority and seeing the way that he uses it. So seeing what Jesus is like helps Theophilus to know that Jesus is reliable. The other thing that's woven in with that, with seeing what Jesus is like, is seeing what it's like to follow Jesus. And Jesus has been preparing his disciples for that. He's been weaving along with with expressions of what he's like, he's been weaving in expressions of what it's going to be like to follow him. You're going to sow the word, for instance, and some people are going to completely ignore it. And some people are going to receive it for a little while, and some people are going to receive it and bear fruit. There's going to be a varied response to the, to the word that I sow, Jesus would say, and that my followers will sow as well. Next week, uh, Jesus will get especially clear about what it's going to be like to follow him. And Luke's gospel will get especially clear about who Jesus is. But this is what we see woven together. We've been seeing Jesus express his authority, express his authority in what he says by speaking, and express his authority by saving in a whole bunch of different ways. Saving people from spiritual oppression and saving people from sickness and saving people from their sin by pronouncing their sins forgiven. And just recently, he has started sending his disciples out with authority to speak and to heal as well in uh, the passage from two weeks ago in the early part of chapter 9 to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And now, Jesus is going to show his disciples something of what their authority is entrusted to them for. We saw this in er earlier in chapter 9, that authority is given to us in order to give more than it is in order to get. And now that's going to be illustrated this morning as Jesus shows his disciples how providing is done in the kingdom of God. One aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. How providing is done in the kingdom of God. Here's, here's what we'll see. It really is going to be an illustration of, of the, the very first thing that Jesus says when he preaches the good news of the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who recognize your need, who... Who, who walk through life acknowledging your dependence on God to provide for you because what gets provided for you is the kingdom of God that then gets spread to others. The idea is that the poor of the world flourish in the kingdom of God. So as, as the poor come, receive the kingdom of God and, and extend it to others, what does that actually look like? What's that experience going to be like? There are going to be, going to be six characteristics of how providing is done in the kingdom of God. Providing in the kingdom of God 
And we'll get back to these. You don't have to write them all down now if you're trying to. Providing in the kingdom of God is done by needy people. Providing in the kingdom of God will sometimes change your plans. There are plot twists. Providing in the kingdom of God is done by people who are willing to give what they don't yet have. Providing in the kingdom of God takes the next step toward the impossible. The next step. Providing in the kingdom of God depends on the generous heart of the Father. And finally, number six, providing in the kingdom of God always comes with provision for the giver. Those are the characteristics that we're going to see as we look at Luke 9, verses 10 through 17. First, I want to read the text. Luke 9, starting in verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. There's so much in this passage, as unusual as it is, there's so much in this passage that's really normal. In fact, the whole setting of the passage is a setting that's characterized by just normal human need. The disciples themselves are experiencing that. Jesus has entrusted authority to his disciples to speak and, and especially to heal and to cast out demons, something that wasn't normal for them to be able to do. And when he did that, he, he could have taken away their limitations. He could have made it so that they would uh, never be hungry or tired, that they would never feel weak, and yet he doesn't do that. He sent them out with God's power as normal human beings. So, amazing things happened, and normal things happened. And we see that blended together in verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. All that they had done was a lot. They had traveled on foot to all the surrounding villages under really stretching conditions that Jesus had assigned to them. Don't take any of your daily needs. Wear clothes and that's it. I want you to trust God to provide for you through the people that you serve. They'd, they'd done a lot of going and doing. You come back from that and amazing things have happened. 
And so you probably come back excited. You may also come back exhausted. It may, may be a combination of those things. Whatever it is for you, it's fitting after a season like that to separate for a while. To make time for things like prayer and rest. And so this is where we see the first principle that providing in the kingdom of God is done by needy people. Not by people that God has caused to rise above the fray of normal human weakness. I'm needy people here. Normal human need. And God loves to provide for His needy providers. We'll actually see that at the end of the passage. And we see it in some ways expressed here as Jesus says, come apart with me for a little while. God loves to provide for His needy providers. And He does it in the best way with the best timing, which isn't always our own. Because there are other needy people also. Other people keep needing things, and they are other needy people are usually more aware of their own need than they are of ours, right? This happens in verse 11. When the crowds learned it, learned that Jesus had withdrawn with his disciples to Bethsaida, when the crowds learned it, they followed him. Here you are, you've, you've said let's separate for a little while, and the crowds come, so what do you do? Well, this is the second characteristic. Providing in the kingdom of God sometimes changes your plans. Even your legitimate plans. Even your good plans. Plot twists happen. So even as you recognize your own needs, even as you're honest about them, it is fitting as you serve in the kingdom of God to remain flexible to remain dependent on God's timing for the provision that he always knows exactly when and how to give and that he will give. And so Jesus knows that his father can be trusted in the midst of a plot twist to finish the story well. And he responds. So we see that in verse 11, he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Same thing he had entrusted his apostles with the authority to do, to speak the word of God and to heal. And here are people who have needs that they cannot meet on their own. Supernatural needs. They, in order to hear what they need to hear, they need the word of God that they can't come up with on their own. They need the word of God spoken to them. And, and in some cases, they need supernatural healing. These are needs that they cannot get on their own. They can only get by the word of God and the power of God. And so Jesus finds them in that point of need and he meets them there. <clears throat> they also have natural needs. They have needs that they actually can meet on their own. And the disciples begin to notice this, especially as the day wears away. And they start thinking ahead, which is a good thing to do. It's getting late. They are in what they call a desolate place a place where there isn't provision for these daily needs, the daily needs of food and shelter. And so they come up with a plan and they come to Jesus. They think ahead before it gets too dark. Uh, verse 12, we see the twelve came, to, came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. It sounds like a wonderful plan. It's common sense, right? There have been minor plot twists so far 
even as Jesus has come apart with his disciples and, and then he realizes the need to be flexible and to meet some needs that people can't meet on their own, now the disciples are, in a sense, asking for a return to normal and Jesus is about to take their planning and turn it, really, right side up. Turns out that in the kingdom of God, there's something better than providing for ourselves and there's something better than people providing for themselves. Minor plot twist has happened. Now it's time for the major one in verses 13 and the beginning of 14. Jesus said to them, You give them something to eat. Here you are. You're Bartholomew, one of the twelve. You've just said, We've got a good idea here. Um, the people need something. Let's send them away to get it. They, they, can, they can handle this part. And Jesus says, You give them something to eat. Okay, that, that, that's great, Jesus. Uh, we, I, it's, it's healthy to laugh after a longer day than we expected, right? It's good to have some comic relief. And now, now you expect him to say, yeah, you're right. Send them on and come on, you come with me and let's get the rest that we came here to get. And you expect him to kind of walk off and wave you on with him and you all laugh together and walk off and get your rest. And he's not walking off. He's still standing there. He's still looking at you with his completely sincere look that demands a response of some kind. And his look will not let you walk away. A response is demanded. You give them something to eat. Well, what response is available? Well, only one response comes to mind for the disciples. It's the same response that would naturally come to mind for any one of us. It's, yeah, right. It's, that's impossible. We can't do that. We don't have what it takes. Not even close. And it seems like it should go without saying, but the disciples know that a response is required, so the only response they can come up with is, we don't have what it takes. We have no more than five loaves and two fish. Now, their hunger, their need, is actually a natural need that can be met in a natural way. The disciples have already recommended that. In fact, the disciples could meet this natural need in a natural way if, if, they, if they had what it took. We could actually give them what they need if only we were incredibly rich. All it would take to do it is a lot of money and some time, perhaps. But they don't have that, of course. Jesus has chosen to have them operate under significant limitations. We don't have what it takes. We can't do that unless one thing were to happen. There's one way that it could actually happen unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, which, of course, they don't have the resources to do. It would be easy if we were incredibly rich, but we're not, so, of course, that's why we can't do it. Anybody, by just looking, by just using your eyes, can look around and see that this need is overwhelming. For there were about 5,000 men. Include women and children, you may be in the 10,000 range. We're really not told. It's a lot of people. And from the disciples' perspective, we barely have enough for ourselves. We have five loaves and two fish. And at this point, they don't see any other option even though they've been provided for very recently in a way that only God could make happen. Remember the 
the the setting for provision that Jesus laid out for his disciples as he sent them out as apostles. Don't take any of your daily needs with you. You're going to be provided for. God's going to take care of you. And they go out. And and then they all come back. And you know why? Well, because none of them starved to death. They've all received provision from God for their ministry. They've received it by faith. And now here they are looking around and saying, based on what we see, this is impossible. This is the third characteristic. Providing in the kingdom of God includes willingness to give what you don't yet have. Looking out and seeing a need and being willing to provide it even though I don't have it yet. The disciples have already experienced God's provision for them by faith very recently, but the difference is it's in the past. And the next thing you need as you serve in the kingdom of God, the next thing you need and don't have is always the thing that feels impossible. You ever notice that? If you've been serving in the kingdom of God for a long time, how many times have you faced a need that you could not figure out how to meet? That the only thing you could do was to ask God, would you please provide this for me? I need this as I serve you. And then He does, and you're astounded and relieved and grateful and thankful. And then the next thing shows up. And how do you feel? It's another impossible thing. The, the next need is always the one that feels impossible. And yet it's not impossible for God. There is one thing that the disciples can see and haven't taken into consideration when they've drawn their conclusion. Their conclusion, we can't. You notice their description, we have no more. We have no more than five loaves and two fish. That's all we have. Except, who are they saying it to? They have no more than five loaves. They have no more than five loaves and two fish except what is hidden in plain sight right in front of them. They have Jesus Himself. And Jesus Himself is the one who's going to train them to understand what providing is like in the kingdom of God. Jesus knows how this can happen. And He's about to teach them. We see this in the second half of verse 14 through verse 17. He teaches them. He said to His disciples, verse 14, He begins to speak, and He chooses to do this in this case by showing rather than telling. There is another way to provide for them. Your, your unless, unless we go and buy food, is not the only option. And I'm going to show you how this is done. There's another way. Follow Me and I'll show you what it is. Notice that Jesus has not said, I'll give them something to eat. If He had said that, it might have felt relieving to them. Okay, at least we're off the hook. At least we don't have to worry about this. But He said, you give them something to eat. He's going to. And yet, what Jesus is doing here is He's inviting His disciples more and more deeply into His work in order to show them what it's going to be like to follow Him. You're going to follow Me into the next impossible thing. And you're going to see me provide. It's, it's amazing as he does this that he does it in an understated way. 
this continues, even as something highly unusual happens, this continues to look extraordinarily normal. There, 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 there's no fanfare. There are no fireworks. There's no sense of, and now for my latest trick, here is bread for 10,000 people. None of that. It's actually quiet. It's a step-by-step thing that happens. Perhaps that indicates that properly understood, what Jesus is about to have his apostles do is, within the kingdom of God, very normal. As unusual as it is, this is the normal way that things operate in the kingdom of God. And so, he has them start small. See this in verse 14? Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. He has them take the next step. And then he'll have them take the next step. He doesn't say, okay, you guys go off in a corner and get enough faith to believe that this whole thing can be taken care of, and when you're ready, then come back. He has them take the next step of faith. And at one and the same time, it is a very normal step and a very risky step. It's a very normal step that in one sense they can do, right? You, it's a big crowd, but you can coordinate a crowd of 5,000 to separate into groups of about 50 each. There are 12 of you split up, tell people, hey, split up in groups of 50 each. In one sense, this is normal logistics, right? You can do that. This is the next step of faith. But where does that step put you? If you have them split up into groups of about 50 each, they're staying there. They're going to be there, and they're going to be wondering, why did you have us stay? So it's the next step that you can do, and it's a step that must be done in reliance on God to provide the next need, the one that currently feels impossible. Next step, verse 16. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. What's Jesus doing here? What's he doing? Because following Jesus is really a matter of knowing what Jesus is like. So Jesus is setting an example for his disciples as he provides and as he provides through them. Providing in the kingdom of God takes the next step of faith. And now, what do we see Jesus doing? We see him making bread in desolate places. Does that sound familiar? Here's what Jesus is doing. He's giving in a way that shows, and this is the fifth provision, that providing in the kingdom of God depends on the generous heart of the Father. Depends on the generous heart of the Father. And he demonstrates this by making bread in desolate places. We've seen something similar, at least similar phrasing, show up in chapter 4. Jesus goes out. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Same word. Same word that's used by the disciples to describe their current situation. It's a place where there is not natural provision for natural need. And Jesus goes out into the wilderness and Satan tempts him and he says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. 
Satan tempts Jesus in a way that says, in effect, if you're the son of God, then tell the father, I'm taking what's mine. In, in, in a way that reflects what the prodigal son will later say to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. I want what's mine, but I don't want you. And that's what Satan is tempting Jesus to do. Tell the father, if you're really the son, you have your rights. So tell the father, I'm taking what's mine. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. If he doesn't live by bread alone, then what does he live by? Now Luke describes this in a very concise way. But when Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, those who know the passage that Jesus is quoting from know how it's finished. Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does Jesus mean? Does he mean, if you're really, really hungry and really, really needy, then quote Bible verses to yourself? That's not a bad thing to do if you're really hungry and needy. But is that the point? It's not the point. In fact, if you read the context in Deuteronomy, what's expressed is not simply you need to know the words that God has said. What's expressed is you need to know the generous heart of God. You need to know the heart of God that's expressed in His words. The, the heart of God who loves to provide generously for His children and bountifully. This is the God who loves to feed His children and will. In His time, and in a more generous way than you would provide for yourself if it was up to you. The Word of God expresses the heart of God. The generous, fatherly heart that feeds His children. The heart of God that says, even to the older brother in the prodigal son's story, My son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It, it's in connection with the fatherly heart of God, as Jesus looks up to the heavens and says a blessing, this is the way in which it's appropriate for the Son of God to make bread in the wilderness, in desolate places, including bread for the givers. The disciples' plans have been interrupted. Their plans for rest, their plans for separation, it appears even their plans to eat but providing in the kingdom of God always comes with provision for the giver. And that happens in verse 17. Generously, with far more than what they had to begin with. They had previously said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. And now in verse 17, and what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Providing in the kingdom of God always comes at the right time, in the right way, and generously with provision for the giver. Providing in the kingdom of God is still essentially the same today. Those characteristics are all still true. And so here we are, followers of Jesus, 2,000 years later, uh, each with our own assignment to be those who love our neighbor, to be those who give to others in Jesus' name, to be those who really stand in the heritage of Jesus, who ultimately did not simply give bread, but gave himself. And that's what the point of bread ultimately is, right? This is what Jesus says to his disciples in chapter 22 at the Last Supper. 
chapter 22, verse 19, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. What we ultimately needed was Jesus himself giving himself broken in order that we might be healed. And here we are as believers standing in that long line of his followers. And we have the benefit of hearing from Jesus. Here's what it's going to be like to follow me. Here's what it's going to be like to share in my provision for others in the kingdom of God. It's done by needy people. You find yourself there. You find yourself needy. It's done in ways that will sometimes change your plans. Maybe even your, chan- your, your plans to, um, to find your needs met. It's done by those who are willing to give what they don't yet have. It's done by taking the next step, and only the next step, toward the impossible. Not all at once. It's done by depending on the generous heart of the Father. And it's done in a way that always comes with provision for the giver. I need to know that. You need to know that. Whether you are working toward church planting in India or Pakistan or Utah. Whether you are serving others by showing up to work at Walmart which is, there's something to be said for that today. Uh, And not only showing up, but showing care sincerely for your coworkers and for those that show up uh, to buy things. Whether you are delivering packages in time for the holidays or delivering a baby in time for the holidays. Whatever it is that you're doing, in service in the kingdom of God, that in one way or another is providing for others in the name of Jesus, each of these things is true for you. Which means that it's not going to be easy, but it is going to be good. If you're needy, if your plans are changing, if you don't yet have what it takes, if you don't see the provision yet, According to your eyes, it's impossible. You still depend on the generous heart of the Father to provide the impossible for others through you and to provide for you in the process. Jesus Himself has guaranteed that by giving not only bread, but Himself for us. Father, we thank You that You have revealed to us the nature of following Jesus into His mission. So that when the hardship and when the impossible shows up, it actually demonstrates to us that your word is reliable because you told us it would be this way. And we thank you for the many, many times that you have provided the impossible for us and even for others through us. We look to you for what's next and we entrust ourselves to your care. In Jesus' name, amen.